um, attackers, like those who come and try to, you know, hack us, hunt us, breach us, whatever, they understand like open source is something that really works today. Like, hey, people use open source. That's like that's like a good viable way of getting in. And so, as is with a lot of open source ecosystems, like PyPI, like RubyGems, like NPM. It's pretty easy to just you know build something and put it out there and like you know if people use it then you know that's that's lovely uh, until that thing is actually malicious. Welcome to the DevSec for Scale podcast, the show that makes security a first-class citizen for growing companies. My name is Jeremy Hest, head of developer relations at Achilles, the secrets management SaaS platform. This interview podcast brings security experts and practitioners together to offer practical and actionable ways for small and growing companies to implement security best practices using shift left principles without interrupting developer life cycles. Welcome back everyone to the DevSec for Scale podcast. I'm Jeremy Hess from Achilles, and with me today is a good friend, Liran Tal. He is the Director of Developer Advocacy at Snake. He is also a web security activist and an open source software champion. Liran, it's awesome to have you on today. Thanks so much. I know that uh, you are a little bit under the weather after getting back from KubeCon, uh, and that must have been an amazing trip. And we might be hearing some noise in the background from some renovations happening, but we will get through it. So thank you so much. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to have you, and I appreciate that you giving us the time and being open to push through this. Definitely. Uh, thank you for having me, Jeremy. It's always a pleasure and fun to chat about these topics with you. Great. Fantastic. Okay. So we're talking today about open source security and yeah. getting right into things before we talk a little bit about you and sneak and all that. Uh, what are some of the arguments that you see and hear for using open source security tools over the closed source enterprise type of tools? Yeah. So I think generally it's it's more like you know the 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 free kind of like tools that make it uh, that has been the you know the most adopted recently that we've seen, and you know whether it's open source or free, it just like it's helpful because I think the shift that's been going on is where in the past enterprise security has been you know selling to enterprise the security um, uh, the security persona the you know the appsec or the CISOs and stuff like that which. Still is the case to today. You know, we don't have to be, uh, you know, totally uh, naive here. I mean, that's kind of like part of it. Uh, but I think a lot of uh, what has been, you know, the if I would call it the tectonic changes, right, uh, under uh, under the ground has been essentially the fact that um, developers drive a lot of, you know, what the what the tech is, right? Like they they want the bleeding edge. They kind of like do their own like uh, you know fun and games and experimentation with stuff, and so. I think when you make uh, tools for developers, and it helps when it's open source as well, it doesn't have to be, but I think it helps, um, then it's easy for them to adopt them. Like there's no there's no sales cycle, right? They don't need to go to like an official demo to a website, whatever. They just do self-serve uh, with the tool, which is why I said, like, I think it's either free or open source, but it's helpful. And then they could really just, you know, test it and start using it. And so I think kind of like this is what has been a driving force um, recently a lot with just security tools being more uh, uh, catered for developers. That's kind of like where, where I, see, I see the shift going. Not to mention communities, right? Yeah, everything communities related is always uh, catering for developers too as well, uh, but agree. 
Fantastic. So now that we got that one out of the way, why don't you give us, Liran, a little bit about yourself uh, and what you do for fun and what you do for your work? Cool. Um, sometimes they're the same. <laughs> That's great. Uh, most of the time they are. Um, yeah, so I, I've joined uh, Sneak about three and a half years ago as a developer advocate. Uh, like the second you know, person on the team just building this out along with uh, Simon Maple, who's a Java champion and like a really you know great person who is like started uh, you know heading the whole DevRel uh, thing at Snake. Um, so before that, I was actually a developer, right? I was a you know a team lead. We we're doing a lot of uh, of you know day to day, you know whatever engineering managers were doing, code reviewing, uh, you know architecting, all of those kind of stuff. Uh, but I was also a part of uh, some communities. Uh, relating to Node.js and security. So I was very actively um, working on the Node Foundation back then. Today it's the OpenJS Foundation. Everything kind of like bubbled up to that umbrella. Uh, so I was part of like the uh, security working group, um, which is triaging a lot of vulnerabilities, looking at a lot of things. Um, I actually, prior to that, I was even uh, writing a book about uh, Node security called Node. Uh, node security essentials or was it node essentials i don't know but it was something like that um and it was fun writing and it was out of necessity because at a prior uh, employer we're actually building uh node apps uh back then at like 2014 or so uh which was you know fairly early it was early adopted by like paypal and so at that point as well uh but it was still fairly early for like the industry um, and so we were, you know, moving out of this, like, you know, PHP, Python, some other kind of like tech stacks into this. And it, ha it happened because uh, uh, the book happened because essentially the security team at that, you know, big other corporate uh, didn't know about like best practices of node application. Like how do you secure a node app? What does it even mean? Like what are the pitfalls? Um, so I had to like do a lot of my own research and learning. Uh, and so, you know, came the book. Uh, so came, you know, more participation in the community. Um, open source I've done since like forever, since like, I was like a kid, uh, you know, installing uh, Linux, being part of communities. And back then it was, you know, part of mailing lists and stuff like that. Um, and so I think where to make a lot of this, uh, kind of like getting back to your question about what I do for fun. So this is kind of like my fun. And then like, this was like, hey, do you want to do this fun stuff as like a full-time job, uh, you know, working with a community, enabling developers to, you know, build secure code and stuff like that. And I was like, uh, this sounds interesting. <laughs> Let's talk more about it. Um, and so that's kind of like what I do. Um, and happy to chat more about like how, how does actually, uh, you know, relate to like different activities day to day too. But um, um, I also have fun, you know, watching uh, football games or, or playing them. We actually have a, a snake football team. Uh, that's soccer for everyone from... <laughs> from the US listening in. Um, so that's our football. Uh, we do that. Um, I, I enjoy taking hikes and just, you know, uh, doing my, you know, my own sports and healthy stuff. Uh, that's fun. And on the weekend, I can like hack on some projects. And um, actually last month uh, before my, my last travel, now with KubeCon, since you mentioned that, because that's been like a, almost a three weeks uh, travel away from home. But um, uh, prior to that, I was actually uh, spending the weekend time to, uh, do some security research and find command injection vulnerabilities in some open source libraries. Uh, so kind of like did that kind of like an unofficial to, you know, what we do at Snake because like, that's not exactly my job. That's other people's job at Snake. Uh, but it was fun. And we had some like nice findings and really cool uh, um, uh, vulnerabilities coming out of this. Uh, so uh, 
yeah, that's, that's me. And that's my fun. That's awesome. And that also would follow into the next question that I have for you, which is what is your favorite thing about open source, uh, more related to security? I mean, cause we obviously, we obviously know community is fantastic, but in terms of the security side of things. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd go with uh, things that are very kind of like secure coding practices. I, I like that area of open source security, um, just because you know, as developers, like you know, I've you know went through a degree thing. Uh, some other people probably have, and they don't teach you at like formal computer science or other studies. Like, here is how you write secure code to avoid user input, to do avoid this and that. They don't do that which is, you know, I'm not gonna say it's bad that they don't do it because it's like a bunch of stuff to learn. And, uh, and so developers go out in the world, they start writing code, they learn the, the most obvious things about software development, like, uh, you know, cross-cutting concerns, like, you know, testing and making it performant sometimes and so on. But, you know, security is kind of like, you know, the thing that gets, you know, shifted behind. Uh, so I think there's like a lot to, to do, uh, teach, educate, like spend time, uh, even like thinking about what are the most like, you know, best practices that we can teach people uh, around security. Uh, and so I love that area of like open source security. And my other one is definitely around the supply chain. So it's something that I've been working on it. Like I said, since I've kind of like uh, stepped into the Node.js foundation and started doing like uh, being the, playing a different role in that sense, because it was, uh, I was the person who was managing the whole uh, hacker one program. So I was getting the reports in, triaging them, looking at them, contacting the maintainers, you know, coordinating the fix, all of that. Uh, so that also lent me a lot of uh, purview into what does it mean like when a new library or like a vendor has an open source vulnerability, uh, sorry, has a vulnerability in general, does it have to be open source? Right. Uh, how does that actually like go? Like what, what happens there? What's the process like? You know, what are the, you know, what, what are the common things that we see happening sometimes? Um, so that really grew into what we have today called, uh, you know, more, um, I think it's somewhat an abused term. Like, uh, do you remember where uh, the time where that when DevSecOps was very kind of like buzzworthy? Remember those days? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so these days, supply chain security is the new buzzword. Uh, I I think it's like a super important topic. I I can't tell you how important it is. Uh, how, how you know how how, uh, how much it is important. Uh, I think there's like the open SSF is like a great testament of that. That's so like a foundation, uh, you, know, you know, Sneak is there, Google is there, Microsoft is like a bunch of uh, GitHub and, and others are there. Um, and like working to really uh, secure the open source of uh, supply chain. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I'm saying it's an abused term, uh, which I don't like it being abused because a lot of companies just say, you know, we do software supply chain security, but they do something else. Um, which is not related to that really, uh, or like adjacently related, not directly. Um, so I like that area. That's great. Well, we have a, a, you know, it brings me right into the next question that I have actually, which is interesting because that wasn't planned, but <laughs> talking about software supply chain management, of course, uh, and I have a yeah. previous episode on that. And we actually had a, a Twitter back and forth, you and Barack about the whole S-bomb yeah. thing and all that. True. But not not getting not getting into that conversation right now. <laughs> but of course, NPM we know at lately was in the news a bit for having some uh, infected 
open source packages and all that. And, um, you know, of course, Log4j as, as well has been in, in the news, you know, before that. So yeah. what do you think security conscious, you know, developers and engineers should do when they're dealing with open source packages and, you know, should be thinking about security? Yeah, so that is where I think like, you know, software supply chain is, is a bit different than uh, what's essentially SBOM and SCA is. It's, it's a related, obviously it's like an adjacent uh, area of uh, domain of like uh, uh, some stuff in, in between, but SCA, like, you know, a software composition analysis. So knowing all the dependencies that you have. So of course, if someone shouts, hey, there's like a you know, remote code execution with this log4j library in, in Java app. So if you're using it, you know, you should, upgrade or whatever, then that's kind of like where SCA and SBOM goes in, right? Like SCA essentially says, here are all your dependencies, kind of like I'm scanning them all the time. I'll tell you if there's like a new vulnerability for them, which it gets you covered. SBOM is more of like the, uh, it's more of the uh, formal specification. So it's like more of like the implementation detail of what uh, maybe an SCA tool could, you know, give you and so on. Um, uh, but also not only, right, like unrelated to SCA, like the SBOM, the software bill of material is actually giving you um, kind of like a list of like, you know, this is, you know, I'm, I'm building this, I don't know, IP telephony thing that I'm like the vendor of this. And these are all of the components that make it up. Um, and so I think to developers, it's like very, very important to know what you're running, right? Like if I'm a, an application builder, uh, and I, I build my app and it's composed of tens or maybe hundreds of dependencies. I probably want to know what I'm running, not so that I, not to have, uh, not to have it at least as like a grocery release or like, Hey, I should know them by heart or whatever. That's not the point. The point is knowing so that if something happens tomorrow, like a vulnerability in one of them, then I know that I'm impacted by it, or I know that I'm not. So I want to have that and have that constantly something that gets you know monitored and that I'm tracking it and so on, rather than proactively, which is what happened uh, you know for a lot of organizations that weren't ready for this. Everyone shouted log4j uh, or the log4shell vulnerability as it's kind of like abbreviated, and people you know at that time they understood the impact and like there was whole you know uh, uh, um, uh, in around that, and it got people to panic, and so they were then kind of like waking up and saying, hey, you know what, let's see what we're running and then finding hundreds of instances of apps, whatever deployed with this and you need to mitigate and all of those kind of things. Um, so well, maybe we'll get to like the NPM or the JavaScript side of it in a second. Uh, but I think for example, uh, how does that relate to like software supply chain is, uh, I've actually been talking about this uh, at my uh, uh, CNCF security con, which was collocated with Kubicon last week. Uh, and my talk was really about uh, kind of like the ending notes were like, SBOM is good, it's important, et cetera. Everyone are saying it and that's fine. Uh, but let's also think about SBOH, which is uh, a software bill of health, right? Like think about the health of the package. It's not just the fact that, to, that it's vulnerable or might be vulnerable tomorrow, but maybe it's gonna be deprecated. Maybe there's not a community around it. Maybe. Uh, you know, there's, it's not maintained anymore and there will be a vulnerability at that point, like also fixing it is not as simply as, as simple as just upgrading it. Have to like, you know, do the whole API changes because you might need like a different one and so on. I feel like replace it with like the health of a package, like how healthy it is, is also like part of the signals that using open source is like really, really important, uh, which is why I kind of like think about those kind of areas when I think about, you know, software supply chain security. Along with things, you know, they they kind of like mean, you know, the whole attestations and uh, the provenance thing, essentially, kind of like 
you know, who signed it? Did they sign it? Where it was built? Where did it came from? And so on. So we can say like also this kind of like relates like the malicious part of it, which brings us into NPM. And did you did you pick it up just like uh, just to troll me because I'm like a JavaScript person? No, no, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to cheat on this one. I'm just asking you because I mean I know that you're involved in it, but still, yeah. it's interesting to to hear from your side, someone who really deals with it on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. That's good. Uh, I, I, I may troll some other ecosystems too, but just for fun and love. Uh, that's it. We, we are all in this together. Um, so I think with NPM, uh, it's easy to get on the news just because like JavaScript is really everywhere. Um, like it's literally powering websites, right? Which is what drives the web uh, essentially like where you go to uh, Twitter or whatever. That's like web. Um, so it's hard. Uh, it's hard to like think of npm as like being a bubble where this stuff happened because it's not if you think about it then like you're missing the whole picture because there's been like malicious incidents on ruby gems there's been like like account takeovers so like one of the things that we've seen are anything from uh you know maintainer accounts of like really popular dependencies getting hijacked on both npm and ruby gems as well uh, we've seen uh, typo squatting and malicious packages being uh, even bulkly added like published at one time like three thousands of them so like I think it was the Python ecosystem, PyPI. So like it's it's everywhere really because people take advantage, uh, like adversarial um, attackers, like those who come and try to you know hack us, hunt us, breach us, whatever. They understand like open source is something that really works today. Like hey, people use open source. That's like that's like a good viable way of getting in, and so as is with all of open source ecosystems like PyPI, like RubyGems, like NPM it's pretty easy to just, you know, build something and put it out there. And like, you know, if people use it, then, you know, that's, that's lovely uh, until that thing is actually malicious. And so um, those stories are really happening throughout every, every ecosystem, you know, some more, some less. It, I think it depends where, you know, where researchers uh, want to like spend more of their time. Um, we'll also say that beyond the type of squatting stuff, the malicious packages, the maintainer hijacking, all the stuff that we've seen so far, um, that's been kind of like at the top of everyone's kind of like news, uh, news feed, etc. We've also seen some other cases of uh, recently two, actually two, um, yeah, I, I think about two case, uh, case studies that's really interesting. Uh, one of them, there was a security, uh, an academic research paper about the security of um, NPM, and I don't remember if it mentioned some other ecosystem, but I, I do remember it as NPM was one of them. And that is the fact that um, you, Jeremy, for example, might create a package and you might be signing up to NPM with your own, you know, uh, Jeremy at Jeremy.com, you know, domain address. Um, and so what happens if like 10 years after you decided you're going to ditch that, you know, domain, it costs you too much to renew. You probably have like a million domains like everyone else. Um, and, and that domain expired, but it's still registered as like the owner of a specific package, which might be really, really popular at this point. So what they've actually looked at is they could uh, buy the domain that's now free, but is used as your identity on something like NPM and just do a reset password kind of process, get access to your you know, package, even to like, you know, they, you know, you have supposedly uh, own it, uh, but you know, something is, you know, something was missing there, the whole domain thing. And that's like a really, uh, that, that's like a novel way of getting in. Like this is like a classic supply chain security story. And that's kind of like where I mean, like, you know, software supply chain security around open source ecosystems 
these are really the juicy stuff that we're looking at. It's this, it's a lot of uh, stories around like Trojan source was like a really interesting attack into like the invisible characters that might be lurking in your code and you're not seeing them because you know your IDE is not showing you control characters and Unicode uh, control characters and stuff like that. Uh, so like super interesting. Uh, dependency confusion is something that's not only real, but, uh, but had actually, uh, we're seeing uh, dependency confusion attacks on ecosystems, specifically NPM uh, from what I'm, I'm monitoring, but I'm pretty sure others as well. Um, and, you know, Alex Bruchan and his team uh, of, you know, people who like found it, uh, I think they were like awarded the highest uh, bug bounty award uh, for one of the programs. Uh, it's like a 40K <laughs> for finding this. And like, they did really infiltrate, uh, you know, areas like, um, like AWS, Amazon, and uh, and Microsoft, and some others. So like it showed you how like this is like a super realistic thing that happens, um, and it it affected several ecosystems. By the way, like .NET and then some others as well. So like it's all around us, and it's like different uh, adversarial threats that we should be more aware of. And it's it's also like it's growing. Like people find more new ways of basically impacting us. So that's kind of like the, the place where we're now. So I think for developers, at the very least, like being aware of those things, like having that mindset of like, hey, let's like, you know, think twice or three times before we do, you know, the, an NPM install or something else. Uh, so having that mindset, like uh, being very security uh, aware is like super important these days. Yeah, go ahead and copy and paste your code into like a Word document or something and see what, ha see what shows up. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, not sure if that works, but you could try. It's, all, all, it's amazing how, how, how innovative you can be when, when you're talking about, you know, what, what's going on and what vulnerabilities there are in code that people just haven't even thought of yet. Um, so talking about, you know, continuing almost on the idea of vulnerabilities and, and you know, security issues, uh, do you have any embarrassing or even not embarrassing security stories that you could tell us uh, that happened to you personally? Um, yeah, definitely, of course. Uh, you know, I, I talk a lot about security best practices, etc. But uh, I also remembered when I was uh, a developer. <laughs> it's 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 a bit weird to say, but like you know, from like uh, two decades, uh, not two decades, but like a decade or so ago. Um, so I transitioned from um, so kind of like my my basic experience back then has been I've been building uh, you know uh, stuff back in like QBasic and then VB and whatever uh, all in all. Uh, but my um, my going into uh, the industry here in Israel uh, was mostly around uh, kind of like the system administrators, what you call DevOps today, or I don't know, SRE maybe. Uh, but I was like doing that. I was like very kind of like, you know, um, low level Linux administration, like network stuff, um, demons and stuff like this, setting things up, configuration, all of those kind of things. Um, and after that, I transitioned uh, to another company to build um, uh IP telephony kind of like a voice over IP kind of like equipment. So like, again, like a very, still very low level uh, kind of stuff. And it's, I think it was my, my first and only episode doing uh, C++ for like eight months, which was like <laughs> a bit crazy. I kind of like learned that by like my, my, my team leader was like, Hey, grab it. I was like, I don't know C++. I was like, sure, here's a book, have fun with it. And, you know, go ahead and write this thing. And I was like, okay, <laughs> if you're telling me I can do that, I'll do that. Um, so I did. Um, uh, but after after you know few years there, I actually transitioned um, into the web kind of thing. So like that's like a very 180 degrees kind of like from like very low level stuff, Linux, very hardcore things 
to you know what's web programming and stuff like that. So around 2007, uh, which was in and between that uh, that period, I was uh, I was building this project called Dell Radius, which is kind of like a Wi-Fi. Um, it's it's it, for those knowing the Radius uh, protocol. It's basically uh, kind of like a way to like do authorization, authentication, and accounting. It's kind of like when you dial up to your ISP. Uh, if you remember, like back then, like dialing up like a username, password, you know, the modem goes. Doo -doo -doo -doo. Yeah. So, AOL. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. AOL. <laughs> AOL or some other stuff. But uh, maybe maybe you'd hack some accounts to get more time. But I won't go into this. This is beyond the scope of what we're allowed to say here. Um, but but uh, so so the whole infrastructure that drives that, like you know, the whole PPP protocol. Uh, L2TP, all this kind of like uh, uh, kind of like protocol behind the scenes that talk to like a Radius server, which then has your username, your password, everything. So I've kind of like built uh, the web that uh, the web management platform that kind of like uh, is on top of all of this. Uh, there was like a lot of MySQL, a lot of PHP, and the worst thing it was there were like a lot of PHP and MySQL like like this. <laughs> so like that spaghetti code where everything is like in one file. And you concatenate like user input from the like, get request and push that into like a query, SQL query and stuff like that. This is what I did. And to this day, I probably have a dozen, if not more, vulnerabilities. Um, I guess onto my name, onto like the Dell Radius um, software that by the way exists until today. People still use that. Um, uh, that's like, you know, these are vulnerabilities. So like I was like going, you know, hey, when I was a very young developer, you know, in my uh, early ages, I wanted to like build features, build fast, uh, you know, do that, you know, uh, new thing that people asked me from the community, because by the way, this is all open source. So like everyone had used it. Uh, and I did not think about security. This was like not something that I was like, you know, very uh, aware of. And so like, you know, a decade later, people are starting to open up like, oh, like, hey, you have an SQL injection here in this code and in this code. And up until today, honestly, I'm getting like hunter reports of people uh, saying that I have to like approve them and go through them and like, you know, do responsible disclosure process and all of this. So yeah, I've, I've myself had written, uh, probably will still write insecure code in the future, but it's more about having the awareness of like, you know, hey, like when you write the next kind of line of code, like what could go wrong? Is that user input? Where is it coming from? Um, so that's kind of like where, where like, I like the shift of mindset going. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for the story. Um, we always, uh, it's always good to hear that we're not alone. Uh, <laughs> and the last question that, uh, that I'd like to ask, which I ask all my guests is give us one or two tips for improving developer security without disrupting developer life cycles. Hmm. Um, I'll say, uh, so two of them. One is uh, prioritize, like, you know, I don't know, use a tool or whatever process or whatever you have, uh, but like, you know, prioritize for, uh, you know, the things that are more important um, for you. Like, you know, one of the things that developers have a lot of struggles with is the frustration of like having too much noise of something. So you know, use the tool, use processes, use whatever kind of like method that works for you to just prioritize and be focused on security for uh, the things that kind of like move the needle, what actually solves things for you. Um, the other one is like use tools that help you like, you know, not, you know, go to like different dashboards and different systems. Like, you know, um, use a CLI tool, use a good integration one, use a extension for security in your IDE so you can find things, you know, while you write the line of code, you actually find, you know, the same secure code. So um, that is surely to be something that gets adopted by developers because it's just helpful to them. Like they don't want more 
processes tools beyond what they're used to. They're used to like developing my IDE. Maybe I use the CLI, push it to GitHub. That's how I work. Um, the more you help them uh, augment that with security tools, the more they'll you know embrace you. Awesome, Liran. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, I appreciate you doing this under uh, under the weather as well. Oh, good. And good. Uh, I, I had a great time. I learned a lot, as I always do, and uh, I look forward to the next time we get together. And uh, for now, have a really good one. Thank you. You too. Bye, Jeremy. Bye, everyone. Bye, bye.